From SGI USA, I'm Cassidy Bradford, and this is Buddhability, the weekly series where I talk with Buddhists from all walks of life about the power we each have to change our lives and the world around us. This week, we asked you to share what makes you feel empowered in your daily life. It might not be a huge surprise, but lots of folks said chanting was the key to feeling empowered each day. What might be surprising to some of you is that the second most common response was about facing challenges and feeling accomplished. For example, checking things off of your to-do list. Or, in my case, successfully waking up on time and getting to chant in the morning before I go to work. I don't know about you, but I have trouble getting stuff done. When I'm slacking in my Buddhist practice, I find that it's all around harder to challenge myself, whether that's just doing my laundry, giving 100% to work, or even having a tough conversation. Today's guest, Christopher Robin Donaldson of Denver, Colorado, shares how he went from someone resigned to a passive life to a person of action who made his youthful dreams a reality. And a quick note, today's episode has brief mentions of suicide, so please take care when you're listening. My name is Christopher Robin Donaldson. I have a very long first name, Christopher Robin. Two words, first name, uh, and that's what I go by. I live in Denver, Colorado. For work, I'm an actor and writer and also a theater teacher. I also work part-time as a pharmacy technician at a hospital um, near downtown Denver. It's great to have you on the podcast. I'm really excited to hear about your story. You know, if you could just tell me a little bit about kind of who you were growing up, what your life was like, and who you were before you started your Buddhist practice. Yeah, so I was born in Portland, Oregon, and grew up, you know, with two parents who were never married. So I have a sister who's four and a half years older than me. Definitely money was a, was a struggle, so moved around from family member to family member. So yeah, when I was six, my dad moved to California for a job. That kind of kicked off a very fast paced and kind of a confusing childhood. Just kind of one day I was expecting to kind of spend a few days with my dad and then my mom said um, he moved. So I was like, oh, okay. So I guess I don't have a dad anymore. <laughs> it was very confusing um, as a six-year-old, but um, definitely just lived with my mom and my sister um, and a lot of obstacles, definitely. I struggled around that time actually with some abuse. So there was, it was it was definitely what I would call a kind of traumatic <laughs> upbringing. There was a lot of pain. There was a lot, and I, I'm laughing about it now because, um, you know, not, not that it was funny, just that I look compared to where I am now, and it's just, I, I'm amazed that I am that same person. Sometimes I have to, I'm like, wow, that, that all really happened in the same lifetime. The thing is, like, even with all that pain, I really remember there being a lot of joy. A lot of that joy actually came from music. My mom was a punk rocker, and she, she was, she's amazing. And my mom was friends with all of these punk rock bands and all of these things, so she was always getting us on the guest list. So even though we were actually quite poor and we couldn't afford, like, tickets to these concerts, my mom was getting us in and then getting me approved to go into these 21 and over concerts with her. So definitely had a went to a lot of concerts from a very early age, which really impressed upon me the power of live music and yeah, so that was kind of my childhood, moving around from family member to family member. That all happened kind of before I came to Denver when I was just about 11 years old. I kind of reunited with my dad and lived in Denver. It took me basically until I was 25 years 
to um, encounter Buddhism. And by that time, I had already overgone even just far more obstacles and pain. I survived a, a suicide attempt in, in 2009 when I was, you know, just before I was 20 years old, actually. Wow. Thank you for sharing so kind of honestly and vulnerably about all of the different things that you really were challenging throughout your childhood, adolescence, early 20s. So I know that it was actually your dad who invited you to your first Buddhist meeting. And my understanding is he doesn't practice Buddhism, but he invited you. So I'm curious how that happened. And when you actually, you know, went to a meeting, what was that experience like? January 1st, 2015 was when I went to my very first Buddhist meeting. It was a friend of my dad's who actually invited him. And my dad invited me to go with him. My dad said it sounded like something I might be interested in. And so I said, sure. So yeah, we met up with his friend for breakfast and he told us about Nam-myoho Renge-kyo. He gave us each a card that had Nam-myoho Renge-kyo written on it and uh, shared with us really incredible experience of using this practice himself and how it really helped him. And I thought it was really interesting. And then we, we had breakfast and then we went over to the Buddhist meeting and I was so amazed. It was, it was a bigger Buddhist meeting. There were probably a couple hundred people there. And I was really surprised. There, there were so many people. And it was the most diverse uh, group of people I'd ever seen in my life. All ages, all ethnicities. Yeah, it was just so diverse. I loved it. And I was just like the energy... I think the most palpable thing for me was just showing up and seeing the life condition. In Buddhism, I encountered this term called life condition, which now is something I, I kind of use all the time. But I remember when I first heard that term, I actually had to ask because I, I didn't know how to put words to what I was feeling when I was saying hello to all of these people because I was struck by something. And in Buddhism, we call it, you know, their life condition. And, and really, like, their life condition was just so, it was glowing. And I remember, I mean, it had been about six years since I had attempted suicide that I attended this meeting. And I was still struggling. You know, I was still struggling with depression, anxiety. And as, like, as soon as I saw these people, I remember thinking, you know, I'm a, I'm a good actor, but these people either have to be the greatest actors I've ever seen in my life or they're actually happy. And I was like, there's no way all of these people are the greatest actors in the world. Like, no, they're, they're actually happy. And I just remember being struck by that because I was really good at pretending to be happy. But uh, internally, I knew that wasn't true. And I remember even thinking at that time when I left that meeting, wow, if I could become someone like that, that would make me really happy. What a cool thing mm. to become. So... After that first meeting and being really struck by all of these people, did you decide like, okay, I'm going to try chanting today? Or did it take like a little bit more time to decide that you wanted to try it out? I definitely wanted to give it a shot. I didn't exactly know how, but fortunately this friend of my dad's followed up with me and he invited me again to an, another Buddhist meeting. And I think part of me knew it would be a good thing for me. And I think, cause I was interested in really transforming my life, but I think I was so accustomed to keeping my life in a certain way, like kind of struggling with the same things over and over again. Something at that meeting, like chanting Nam-myoho Renge-kyo uh, with a, a large group of people. I mean, it really opened something in my life. 
And I didn't know exactly what, but actually at that time, I'd really been struggling actually with trying to quit smoking uh, marijuana, which was a habit I had actually picked up after my suicide attempt. (laughs) For years, I'd been struggling with quitting. And it was really painful for me, like trying to quit and then go back on again, quit and go back on again. And actually, as I started chanting, I chanted for the first few days and I realized I'm like, wow, this is actually changing something. And there was this deep part in my life that realized like it was scary because it was like actually I had made smoking the central part of how I dealt with my problems. And when I started chanting, there was this kind of a inner awakening that like, wait, this could be the central thing of my day, chanting a little bit in the morning, like that could be the thing that I use to really transform my life. And I think the part of me that was accustomed to using smoking as my tool felt threatened by that. And so, yeah, when the friend of my dad's invited me to come to another meeting, I was both like really touched that I was wanted, you know, that they wanted, you know, me to come and that they cared about me. And then I was also like, I don't know, I think I just kind of want to go home and isolate and smoke. Actually, at the time I was working with my dad and my dad was asking me what I was doing later that evening. And I said, um, I was invited to go to this uh, Buddhist meeting, but I don't know, I think I might just kind of go home and watch Netflix and just kind of hang out. And actually it was my dad who said, I think you should go. This Buddhism looks good on you. I was really surprised by that. I had only been chanting for a few days, but he could already see a difference. So that was that was really powerful to me to know that like even in just the few days that I had been chanting that people in my environment could tell a difference. I think I was still probably a little too close to the painting. I definitely felt certain things moving in the depths of my life that were kind of profound and I decided to go and then I just kind of stayed connected with that friend and continued to chant after that and then kind of set myself kind of a just a challenge a self-determined challenge I came up with of like okay I'll I'll give this a 90-day shot you know yeah so that's how I started doing it and you know it was nothing crazy you know Mm -hmm. just just a little bit every day and it wasn't the most consistent honestly but I definitely challenged myself to see it through to those 90 days and then just kind of honestly look back on where my life was at the end of those 90 days. Mm -hmm. Kind of treat it as just kind of like a scientific experiment. Yeah, totally. As you were sharing about like this kind of push and pull of wanting to isolate, but also knowing that like, you know, this also is something I'm, I know is probably good for my life, but I don't know if I really want to do it. That kind of um, push and pull. I mean, it's relatable for me and I've been, you know, practicing now for a while. And even now, sometimes I'm like, oh, do I really want to go, you know, study Buddhism with people when I could just stay at home and sleep? But I think like this kind of negativity in our life that wants us to give in to like, laziness or not challenging ourselves or whatever, you know, I think through our Buddhist practice, we learn how to really challenge that voice and use our wisdom to decide like, okay, this is Netflix time. And like, oh no, I'm going to challenge myself in my Buddhist practice. So at the end of that 90 days, what did your life look like? Yeah, I I agree hundred percent with everything you just said. I think that was the big thing that I noticed in those 90 days was just the extent to which my mind wavered in a single day. I'm a very kind of like thinking person. I'm thinking constantly. I'm having an inner dialogue going on in me. And when I would chant, 
sometimes I would, yeah, I would, like, what am I, what am I supposed to think about when I chant? My mind would kind of be telling me, you should stop chanting. I'm like, I just started, and I set a five minute timer. You know, it's not I'm like, you know, like, and it's like, yeah, you should stop. And then I'd be like, oh man, you should keep going for five hours. And I'm like, okay, like, like my mind would just like go back and forth between like, yo, do it, go all in, or completely stop. And it was just like this back and forth. And actually, I was really inspired at the time by um, this this particular quote that I found in studying, it actually came up at one of our Buddhist meetings. And I was like, oh, what was that quote that you mentioned? It's from Nichiren Daishonin, the founder of this Buddhism and the founder of the chanting Nam Myoho Renge Kyo. So this is like one of my favorite quotes. He says, one should become the master of one's mind rather than let one's mind master him. Then he goes on to say, worthy persons deserve to be called so because they are not carried away by the eight winds. Prosperity, decline, disgrace, honor, praise, censure, suffering, and pleasure. And I think there was just something in that that I really wanted to understand more deeply because I felt my mind vacillate so much, in particular at that time with the the quitting, smoking going on and off. But over those 90 days, I think I definitely felt like my life was moving in a very deep way. It's, it's, it's tricky to put into words, but I remember really feeling something was opening up and my life was exciting. I, I, I kind of started to feel more joy for the future, even though I still didn't really exactly know what it held. And yeah, I, I definitely struggled with what to specifically chant for. And um, my Buddhist friend encouraged me to just chant to be victorious. And I was like, uh, okay. I liked it because it was specific enough, but it was also vague enough you know, for me. I was like, yeah, I'd like, to, I'd like to be victorious. I don't know exactly what that means. But as I continued to chant for that, I realized that actually over those 90 days, I'd kind of lost track for that last month and I'd actually been sober, which at that time was like a a record since I had very first started smoking six years prior. It was one of those things that just kind of snuck up on me. I was like, oh yeah, wait, it's been like 30 days. That's crazy. Wow. That's phenomenal. And definitely like victorious. That's a great suggestion or advice of how to chant when you're not totally sure. Like what exactly you want. So at the end of that, did you feel like, okay, I think this works. I want to keep doing this. And if so, what happened after that? Did you have any kind of clarity and where you wanted to go in your life? Any dreams or goals? You know, I, I I did my best those first 90 days and then I would, I would kind of go on and off. It was kind of one of those things that, you know, when I was really struggling, I would pick up again. But then again, I think that there was there was definitely some deep karma that I was really struggling with. And I think there was a part of me that was really almost addicted to my suffering in a sense, or addicted to kind of the way my life was at that time, kind of that gravitational pull of my habits at that time or my negativity or my relationships or all those things. So I would also be stubborn. I think there were times where I was just like, I don't don't have to chant in order to have benefits. I would try that for a bit. And then I would honestly reflect back on my life. And I'm like, okay, not much in my life has changed in the last two months. Like, actually, I'm kind of going back in the direction my life was before I was chanting. And okay. And so I chant again. And then I'd be like, oh my gosh, once again, I'm feeling happier. I'm like isolating myself less. I'm being more involved. I'm, you know, sober again. And 
I want to be clear, you know, I'm, I'm not saying like smoking is 100% evil, but for myself, I could, I could really start to see definitely after the first year of practicing that I was just happiest when I was sober. And that, but that was my own determination I came up with. You know, I wanted to experience sobriety and I was happiest when I was chanting. And it was nothing that anybody told me. It was from my own experience I knew. I'm like, wow, you know, when I chant every day, I definitely rise to challenges in a different way. I seem to be taking on more of my life. I'm, I'm starting to think bigger. That kind of, it kind of went in that order of kind of on again, off again, on again, that kind of kind of very laissez-faire scientific experiment. It was 2018. It was three years that I had been practicing. And I just looked back on the last three years, you know, because I kind of had kept a journal of when I had been chanting, when I wasn't. And it was just so clear. It was just so clear. When I chant, my life shines. When, when I look back on these years, the times when I experienced the most growth was when I was chanting. And then, yeah, actually, I, I really started to look at all of these goals that I had. When I had a, attempted suicide, I had quite a few goals that I had kind of given up on. And over the course of those, those years of chanting, those inner goals were starting to finally come back out. Like, yeah, wait, what do I want to do? What do I want to accomplish? Because I think I'd like to try to make it happen. And so I made a list and I kind of looked back, like, what were the things I wanted to accomplish when I almost gave up? I looked at that list and none of them had come true yet. I still had not made any of them come true. And then I decided, what if I try to use chanting to make some of these things happen. What would that look like? So that's how I set about it. I had my list of goals and I just decided to go for it. Briefly going back to what you shared about sobriety, feeling better. I remember when I was like maybe in high school or early college realizing that, oh yeah, Buddhism doesn't make these like judgments about what kind of lifestyle, what kind of way you live your life is good or bad, the kind of person that you love, what you do with your body, like all of those things. The Buddhist perspective on it is, is it moving your life in the direction of your happiness? Is it good for you? Is it good for other people? Then yes, that's Buddhism. That's what you should do. You know, it's not prescriptive. And so that's one thing that once I realized that I thought, oh, wow, this is really revolutionary. So in terms of like these goals that you had, which ones did you start moving toward? Yes. So it, it was really like waking up from a dream. I'm like, what goals did I used to even have? Did I have goals? And so I also got guidance from a, a Buddhist friend of mine because I was like, I, I really want to make some of my dreams come true. And he was, he was like, great, what are some of your dreams? And I was like, I don't know. And he's like, oh, okay, so in that case, you should chant for you to figure out what your dreams are. And I was like, oh, okay. It did not take long. Once I opened that, I was like, oh, yeah. I was a singer-songwriter, and I had started doing that naturally from the age of seven. I was writing my own songs. I started playing piano. You know, never had any lessons or anything, but I remember listening to the radio and jamming along, you know, to the best of my ability. Started playing guitar, and, you know, in high school, I loved acting, and I really wanted to become an actor. I mean, I had all of this passion to write music and, and tell stories, and I'll 
also act. And so my big goal, the first thing that really I was like, that's right. That's what I really wanted to do was I wanted to act and I wanted to write stories. And that was a very clear goal that I'd had. Like I wanted to make a movie. I wanted to write a musical. I wanted to make my own film. I wanted to become a professional actor. And then of course there was the part of me that really sought connection. And I wanted to create a family where I could have, you know, children that didn't have the upbringing that I had, you know, kind of transform provide for them maybe a happier childhood than I had had and, and things like that. So I think there was a part of me that, you know, then was like, that's right. I really want to have the love of my life. It's amazing how chanting about it sort of unleashed maybe like, oh, wow. Mm. Yeah. These are all of the things that I want for my life. So as those like started to come out, what did you do about it? Like, how did you move forward? That was tricky for me because I didn't know how, like what to do. My Buddhist friend would continuously, this was a different Buddhist friend at this time than the the friend of my dad's who had invited me. I'd made many friends in my Buddhist community. And one of them who was a little more my age, you know, we hung out a lot. And together, sometimes we would chant together and sometimes we would study together. And this one time we were studying this article written by Daisaku Ikeda, a Buddhist philosopher, who I, after studying enough of some of the things he's written, I decided this is going to be my mentor because this this person really like talks to my heart. When I read some of the things that he had written, I like I feel like this was written for me right now. This is a very short piece of guidance, but it basically comes down to how to kind of win or like how to have victories. And it, he says essentially, um, decide, chant, act. So that's it. Of course, it goes deeper into it. But when I looked at it, it was like decide, chant and act. So it's like, okay, so decide the goal that I want to achieve and then chant Nam Myoho Renge Kyo to my heart's content, however much I want to challenge that. And then act, take some sort of action. And it doesn't have to be like a car that goes to zero to 100 in a second, you know, but like just start to build momentum towards the goals that I'm coming up with. And so that's what I did. I decided... I was going to become a professional actor. And then I chanted with the determination, I am going to become a professional actor. And then I had no idea what action to take. And so the next day I decided again and I chanted again. And then I realized, I'm like, well, wait a second. If I want to be an actor, then I'm probably going to have to audition for a show. That's usually how that works. So I decided to look at if there were audition opportunities I found the Denver Center for the Performing Arts. I found their education website that they had like adult classes. And it's like, oh, wait a second. They, um, they're having an audition for a master class. Maybe I'll, that's what taking action will look like. I'll, I'll decide to uh, audition for that. And I was so nervous. <laughs> I had not done live theater in like 10 years. You know, I had to like craft my high school theater resume with still had no professional experience, but I had good life experience and I had chanting. So I was like, I'm going to make this happen. That audition was like about a week away and I was chanting like, okay, I have to make this. I have to make it happen. I have to make it happen. For that master class, um, I was able to get kind of like an extra role in that. It wasn't like a main role or anything like that. And, and then continued to do acting classes. At the time, I had also gotten a good job. I was working as a pharmacy technician and taking these acting classes on the side. At the time I was working retail pharmacy, I did experience a really tragic event in my family. 
I had an 11-year-old niece who lived in Portland, Oregon. And very suddenly and very traumatically, she, she lost her life. You know, she went into a hospital to get something on her heart checked out. And unfortunately, they found this infection. They had to do emergency surgery. And unfortunately, she, she passed away. And, you know, that was really heartbreaking at the time. And it was very devastating. And I felt completely like there's nothing I can do. You know, I was powerless. I really felt powerless. You know, it's nine years now that I've been chanting. And I think the reason why I continue to do so is because I can chant however I am exactly at that moment without pretending to be someone else or pretending to feel anything other than what I'm feeling at that moment. And of course, I can chant with the determination that, you know, this is how I want to feel, but I don't lie to myself now when I'm chanting. Like, this is what I'm feeling. So, you know, I chanted, I cried while chanting so much, you know, chanting for my niece. And my Buddhist friend came over and chanted with me and just really encouraged me. You can chant for anyone's happiness, including people who have passed away. Uh, and that this is the Buddhism of proactivity. You know, when you chant, you can proactively forge your relationship with anybody, past, present, or future. Rather than waiting for a relationship to strengthen, you get to be that protagonist to transform it or to change it or to strengthen it. He really encouraged me to continue to chant for my niece's happiness. So I did, and I decided that I wanted to switch to hospital pharmacy work at that point. I think there was a part of me that was like, man, if there's anything I could do to prevent that situation happening, I would love to do that. You know, I didn't really want to become a doctor or anything like that. You know, I, I still I mean, had no degree. I still wanted to do arts and all of these things. But, you know, I, I decided I, I'm still a pharmacy technician. I'd like to try doing it at a hospital and, and contribute to people's health in that way. So, you know, I decided, you know, that whole decide, chant, act encouragement um, that Daisaku Ikeda had taught. I decided that I wanted to work at a children's hospital. I chanted that I was going to make it happen. And then I took action by submitting a few applications. And I submitted two. I submitted one to a children's hospital. And then I applied to one more hospital. I, I never heard back from either of those. I continued doing my full-time job at Safeway Pharmacy, continued doing my acting classes and all of those things, chanting for my niece. And then one day I got an email it was actually from not the child's hospital. It was from the other hospital. It was from the pharmacy technician manager. She said, hi, I tried calling you to arrange an interview for you, but that phone number says it was inactive or disconnected. So I'm emailing you to see if you're still interested in an interview. And I remember thinking, like, wait, I never got a call. And then I reached out to her. I'm like, oh, I'm so confused. I never got a call for an interview, but I would love to interview. And she wrote back and she said, great. Well, this is the phone number on your resume. And I looked at the number she said, and I, I was so embarrassed. I had misspelled my own phone number on my resume. But again, she went out of her way to then email me a month later and see if I was still interested in an interview. So I was like, wow, okay, I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to go to this interview. I'll take action. So I showed up to the interview. And actually at that interview, I found out that this hospital is attached also to a children's hospital. So I'd be actually working for a children's hospital and an adult hospital all in one. So my prayer happened. I had no idea that it would manifest that way, but that's how I got into the role of pharmacy at a hospital. 
So when you started, were you feeling like a new sense of purpose or was it any different than working in retail? Absolutely. It was a very different world than retail. I loved both. And I, I, you know, I definitely treasured all of the experience I had in the retail side. But being in the hospital was completely different. I was being tasked with many different responsibilities. Some days I would actually be mixing and making chemotherapy. Some days I was making the IV medications for cancer patients, newborns, babies born premature. And I think this really pointed to my prayer towards my niece. That's why I'd wanted to get into hospital pharmacy was that somehow I was going to help save a life. I think that felt like I might be in a position somewhere where I can more clearly contribute to that sort of kind of life-saving measure. Again, I'm a pharmacy technician, so I didn't know specifically what that would look like. But my prayer was I wanted to be ready if something happened, I wanted to help. And so my chanting at this point was really strong. I was really, I was getting up early. And again, you know, I was really challenging myself on all fronts. And then one day at the hospital, I was working and it's a huge hospital. It's almost like an entire city block. And so we have tube stations that run throughout the hospital. We'll get a medication, we'll tube it. It'll go to 10 floors and like two buildings away, basically. But there was a code that was announced over the intercom is called a mass perfusion protocol. And I had to ask, what does that mean? My pharmacist said, basically it means that someone is losing a lot of blood very quickly. Immediately I thought back to what had happened with my niece. She essentially died from the same thing. She was losing blood. They were giving her perfusion after perfusion. So giving her more and more blood and her body was just too weak. It couldn't keep the, the blood in. So she, she had died on an operating table. And I, I realized in that moment now, two years later, where I was working at the hospital and they had the code, mass perfusion protocol, I realized that's exactly the same code that they would have called in Portland, Oregon, when my niece was at that crucial moment in her life. I really felt at that moment that this was my chance, that like responding to this patient was a way that I could respond to my niece. I mean, I just jumped in. My chanting had prepared me for that moment. I was serious. I was ready. The IV room was making medications as quickly as they could. Medication was sent out and they were like tubing things left and right. But there was this one medication that they were like wondering how long it was going to take. They were making it as quickly as they could. I had a pharmacist who was saying, be ready. When that medication comes out, please tube it as soon as possible. And I said, yes, wait. And then I said, no, I'm going to hand deliver it to the ICU myself. This is a very important medication and if it gets lost in the tubes. So I chose to not rely on the tubes. And as soon as the medication came out, I put it and as quickly as I could get to the ICU, you know, without panicking anybody else, like something crazy is going on. But I was walking very swiftly as quick as I could. And when nobody was in sight down these long hallways, I was running as fast as I could, you know, and the medication was safe. I had it in a basket to go to this patient's room. I passed by the tube station and in that tube station, there were medications that we had already tubed. I knew that if I had tubed that medication, they wouldn't have gotten it yet. They already hadn't gotten these ones we had already tubed. So I pulled those medications, put them into my basket as well. I walked straight up to the ICU uh, patient's room. It was like a scene out of a movie. There were at least six nurses and a doctor in that room. And as soon as I walked into that room, 
the doctor turned to me, looked me in the eye, and then looked down and saw my basket, pointed to the medication and said, I need that now. And I said, yes. And I pulled it up and I handed it to a nurse and then the nurse gave it straight to him. There was a floor pharmacist on the ICU as well who was just like, okay, great, thank you for bringing that. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. So I gave her all the medication I'd brought over from the tube stations as well. And then I said, should I wait here? She said, no, go back to the main pharmacy and just in case they have anything else, you you can bring it up. I'm like, okay, absolutely. So I, I dashed back to the main pharmacy and I'm just waiting and there was no news. I didn't know how that situation ended. My shift ended I went home. I felt like all I could do now was chant. And I really chanted for that person. I didn't, you know, I knew that person's name and I had seen them in the, the patient's, their room, but I, had, I knew nothing else about this person. But I just, I remembered their name and I just chanted for their happiness. And at the same time, memories of my niece was coming up and so I was starting to cry. But I just decided, I kept my eyes open as hard as it was and I was chanting, nam yoho renge kyo, just in the midst of tears and I just really challenged myself to chant and you know and then I went to bed and I went to work the next day and the first thing I asked was how's that patient and that patient was recovering I later found out that that patient was discharged and he survived that you know that was really powerful to me because you know I I walked away from that feeling absolutely confident that I had become someone new. Like I'd become someone that rather than waiting for things to happen, felt confident enough that I could actually make a difference and that I could be proactive. In that moment, I felt that I had tapped into some courage and compassion and wisdom that I had not experienced. And it wasn't like this wee feeling of happiness. It was more of a deeper grounded sense of, I matter, and so does that patient, and so does everyone, and I'm going to continue to live my life serious and joyful and challenge myself more than ever now. I will continue to make those dreams come true. And so it was a really profound experience for me and a real turning point in my life. Yeah, I think it's just such a profound experience In many ways, we talk about in Buddhism that you have the ability to create value from anything and thinking about your niece's life, even with grieving and sadness, deciding somehow I'm going to create value from this like deep sadness in my life. Not only is it like, you know, such like clear parallels, right, with your niece And responding to her in that kind of more like literal way, but also responding like with the growth in your life. You know, I think both of those ways are just such a powerful way to like repay your debt of gratitude to her, to respond to her. You mentioned that, you know, this was a really kind of like pivotal moment in your life that really shifted something deep. I'm wondering like if you can talk a little bit about what kind of person you were maybe before this moment. It was definitely a pivotal moment. There's always been a part of me that wanted to, you know, help people. I always really wanted to um, be bold and, and take action. But, you know, I think it was always that kind of vague underlying thing that I didn't really know how to 
manifest. I learned from Daisaku Ikeda that Buddhism places an emphasis on the present and the future. I also realized like, okay, well, I'm, I can't live my whole life just based on that, that victory that I just had. And again, that was, a, that was a huge victory. But I was like, but now, now what? If I fought my hardest yesterday, I knew through my Buddhist practice, that's not as important as winning today or tomorrow. It can build momentum in that direction. But if I give up today or tomorrow, then that kind of takes away from my victory in the past. Whereas if I win even more today or set myself up so that I can win more in the future, then the victories that I have moving forward from this moment on make everything in my past more victorious. So I went back to chanting with kind of a renewed determination. I'm like, okay, I am going to transform everything in my life that I feel has been holding me back. I'm not going to be stuck in the past, you know, but I'm going to base myself in the present and the future, make causes now, decide, chant, act today and tomorrow. When I started chanting in that way, as I mentioned, you know, what's kept me going in this practice is that I can chant with any emotion that I have at that moment. And I can have a determination that I want what I want to change that emotion into or, you know, change from frustration into determination or anger into like an earnest resolve to transform a situation. But wherever I am when I start chanting is, is different than where I am when I finally stop chanting. There was this one day I was chanting and I actually, I don't know why, it was just something from my life. I was just chanting. And then out of nowhere, I got so angry at my dad. I didn't know why. I'm like, where is this anger coming from? And then I was like chanting. I had this memory of something that happened back in high school. There was a show on MTV that started back in like the early 2000s called Made. At the time, it was like a popular reality television series on MTV that usually high school students had the opportunity to achieve a specific like personal goal or ambition. And so kind of the goal of the show is like to inspire and empower individuals like to pursue their their own dreams and aspirations. When I was in high school, made actually like the film crew came to my high school to interview or like audition. And I was like, this is this this is my chance. And, you know, again, I was a songwriter. I could really like play them a song that I wrote and, you know, who knows what that could lead to. Like, they're going to make me. I told my dad that this was happening and that I could sign up for like an audition or slash interview. Also at this time, there was another show called um, Ice Road Truckers. And my dad was just like, oh, wouldn't it be funny if you said you wanted to be an ice road trucker? That, could, that would kind of be cool. I remember at that time thinking that is the stupidest idea I've ever heard in my life. But at the same time, I think it was more important to me that he knew that I was someone who would take that dumb idea and actually go for it. When I went in, the producer was in there and I walked in and I was like, hi, I'm Christopher Robin. She was like, great. So what do you want to be? What's your dream? I summoned all the enthusiasm you could possibly imagine. And I just stood tall and I said, I want to be a professional ice road trucker. And she looked at me and her eyes got big. I could tell she was confused at how excited I was at becoming that. 
And she's like, okay, that could be a little hard for us to kind of connect you with a mentor in that kind of field. She was saying it so compassionately, <laughs> but she was like, is there anything else? Like, do you like to like, sing or dance and I was like oh yeah 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 wait actually no I do I am a singer songwriter and I, I write my own music but at that time I could tell I, I, I had already lost it so I tell this very stupid story to share that like that's who I was I have an idea of who I am but it takes a back road to kind of like I don't know, maybe what my dad would find funny in that moment. But at that moment when I was chanting, you know, here we are after that hospital incident, and I was chanting and this anger was bubbling up, I realized I am so angry at my dad for ruining my life. That was my chance to be made by MTV. Imagine where I could have been. I could have been a star. I could have been all of these things. I really chanted through that anger. But, you know, ultimately my dad played a crucial role in be, me being introduced to this, this Buddhism. So, I mean, I'm chanting kind of because of him, but I'm also angry because of him. And I'm like, how do I reconcile this? But then I realized, I'm like, well, look at what I just made happen at the hospital. I made that happen. MTV didn't make it happen. No one else made it happen. I made it happen. I practice the Buddhism of proactivity. I chant nam myoho renge kyo to be proactive. I am a protagonist. There's no part of me that should be mad at my dad. If anything, it was my protection that I didn't rely on someone else making me. What do I want to do now, right? I had already said I'm not going to base myself in the past. And like almost immediately, the first thing that comes up is this begrudging anger towards the past. And so I was like, well, what do I do now? I'm like, I already know what I do. I decide, I chant, and I act. I'm on the path, I'm making causes, and I'm gonna continue doing that. And I was working, you know, taking these acting classes on the side. I continued to audition for those master classes, and I was in one, it was called Angels in America. And, you know, all of this stuff, none of it was professional theater. And then one day, I'm like, I, I still haven't become an, a professional actor, but I've been making all of these causes. There was this one morning I will always remember. I challenged myself to chant more than I usually do. I decided to wake up early, and my shifts at that time were starting at like 6 a.m. So in order for me to get some like substantial chanting in, I had to wake up pretty early. But I decided, you know what? I really want to transform my life, so I'm going to wake up a little early today and just really chant with more determination. And that day... Out of nowhere, I was checking my email on break at work, and I got an email from a local theater company inviting me to the callbacks for this play. I was so confused. I was like, how did you get my email? How do you know that I want to become a professional actor? All I could think was, I was literally chanting this morning that I would have a breakthrough and then this happened. They asked if I wanted to go to that audition. So I did. And I just chanted like, I am absolutely going to make this happen. I'm going to do the best at this callback audition. And so I really worked on the piece and I did my best. When I showed up at the audition, there were two people in the room that I auditioned for. And one of them said, I really loved your performance in Angels in America. And when I saw you, I thought you would be perfect for this role. That was a play that I had done a year prior and I had never met this person, but they had seen my work and they went out of their way to get my information from that director and then email me to invite me to that audition. And I was just stunned that someone would go so far out of their way to reach out to me. 
And so they then hired me and I officially became at that point legally and for all intents and purposes, a professional actor. So that's how I cracked that dream open. I made it happen. I was not always someone who had made it happen like the hospital, but I think through chanting, I awoke that, that bootability within myself. I awoke that potential to do that. And then when I had that tangible taste of what that looked like, I'm like, okay, now I have a reference point that I can always look back to. I have a reference point, like I made that happen. What do I want to make happen now? So I made myself indispensable at work continuously. I made myself indispensable even in my acting classes. I really treated everything just super seriously and joyfully. And then boom, I became a professional actor. And in that show, I met the woman who became the love of my life and who I am now married to and have a child with. And we've been married now for two years and we have a, a daughter who's almost 10 months old and we own our own home and I have this family and I have confidence and I have drive and I still have goals and like I made a musical, I made a movie, I made every single one of those goals that I mentioned that I almost gave up on you know, when I had attempted suicide in 2009, now, after encountering this Buddhism and chanting Nam Myoho Renge Kyo for nine years, I've made every single one of those goals come true. And I am someone who makes it happen now. And I'm someone who helps other people who feel stuck. I help them understand that they are the ones who can make it happen. We are all each equally the protagonist of our own life. So if you can do it, so can I. And I'm doing it for myself and also so I can show you that you can do it too. Mm. It's amazing how just in kind of one pivotal breakthrough, like we can all of the sudden see something about ourselves or see the capacity in our life so clearly. And of course, like even though it can kind of shift quickly, Many times it can take a while, right? Like you had been practicing for several years and, you know, seeing shifts in your life and seeing your growth. But it was in that kind of moment, really awakening to like this bootability in your life and really being able to believe in it. When you get to that point in your life, and I think it happens little by little for people, but like you gain even more and more confidence as time goes on in just the capacity of your life and the power of your life. Now you've got all these really like concrete victories in your life and goals that you've achieved. I'm wondering, have you had any other things that you've really started to challenge beyond those initial goals you had, especially now that you've accomplished them? <laughs> Yeah, definitely. I still have more goals, you know, I want to continue to kind of fulfill creatively, I want to continue to contribute and push myself. And I definitely have creative goals to, to write and perform and definitely have a goal to just create the happiest childhood for my daughter and really build the most beautiful relationship even more so you know with my wife and you know so I have like those goals you're very close to home you know when I looked back on my life five years into chanting Namyo Horinge Kyo and it was just so crystal clear that chanting has 
given me the energy and transformed things in my life to the point where I can really make all of these other things like becoming an actor, having a, the love of my life, having a child, you know, having a home. All of those goals that I mentioned have come true. So now when I look back on the last nine years of my life, and I actually even look back further, I look back to when I was really at my lowest point in my depression and anxiety in 2009 when I uh, tried to take my life. I look back and I think like, what would that person think about who I am now? My first feeling now is I have so much compassion for what I was going through at that time, but also who I was then would be so impressed and encouraged by who I could become. And I realize now with my nine years of chanting that this is free. Like chanting Nam Myoho Renge Kyo is a free tool and it's this renewable resource that never runs dry. And so with extreme gratitude to have this practice in my life that I have a tool I can use without going through anybody else to use it, how do I repay the gratitude I have for this practice and, and for the person who was brave enough to share it with my dad, who was brave enough to invite me to go with him, right? Not because it's an obligation, but because I really want to pay forward this gratitude that I'm experiencing for my life and this philosophy where I've been able to tap into my life like I never had previously. And so one of the goals that I set for myself last year and this year was to just share this Buddhism, like share about chanting Nam Myoho Renge Kyo um, with people, you know, people that I knew or even strangers that I meet. Of course, I have these creative goals, but I re also realized that this, this grassroots effort of just sharing Buddhism with like one person, even one more person, it does create waves of change. And it's not going to be talked about in the paper. It's not going to be written up, but it, it does have the capacity to change people's lives. I mean, it really transformed my life. I mean, to the point where I'm here talking to you, I never could have anticipated this happening. So I try really to give that gift to other people, this free tool that they can use anytime. And so that's a goal that I'm going to continue to challenge myself in is just kind of giving that gratitude outwards as I continue to strive towards my own creative goals and build my my family harmony as well. Wow, that is really, really amazing. It's really about sharing a life-affirming philosophy with people, encouraging them that like there are people in this world that really believe that everybody's life is valuable and powerful, and we take action to do that. I think even just knowing that, whether somebody, you know, practices Buddhism or not is really empowering and encouraging to know. You've shown with your own life, you know, how practicing Buddhism has helped you become sort of a person of action who makes things possible. And, you know, you said like a protagonist of your life. I'm wondering, you know, if you have any advice or what advice you would give to someone who's really struggling to feel like they have the power to change things in their life. I really know that feeling of, of, of feeling powerless and of feeling like kind of very passive and experienced myself, the psychology of suicide and depression and anxiety. I, I've, I've been there deeply myself. It's something I can 
feel very deeply. I hope if you're listening to this that you're you're not struggling with those things, of course, but no, whatever they are, you know, we are capable of transforming it. This was also a, a favorite quote of mine over the years, and especially to this day, this is another quote by Daisaku Ikeda. He says, Buddhism teaches the principle of cherry, plum, peach, and damson, that all things have a unique beauty and mission. Every person has a singular mission, his or her individuality and way of life. That is the natural order of things. So as I've continued to chant, I've realized that one of the things that makes a, a, a peach so wonderful is it's not wasting its time comparing it to a cherry, you know? And what makes a cherry so wonderful is it brings out its full unique qualities and it's not wasting its time comparing itself to a peach, you know, that we all have our unique lives and we can tap our own unique lives fully. So in chanting Namyo Horenge Kyo, I've been able to bring out the unique fruit of my own life. And I want more than anything for everyone else to experience that in whatever way they can. And I know the way that has worked for me most tangibly is through chanting Nam Myoho Renge Kyo. For me, I mean, the last nine years of my life in chanting Nam Myoho Renge Kyo, it has been creating my own actual proof and living out my own drama and really wanting to experience that Buddhist principle, not just to understand it theoretically, but to really value my life as it is, not based on comparing it to someone more or less anything. So, I mean, my advice would be to try chanting Nam Myoho Renge Kyo, to connect to a, a Buddhability um, community. I think Definitely making a, making a friend who chants as well has been very powerful for me because sometimes when I'm in my own head, you know, my Buddhist friends have been able to, you know, without being like, hey, you need to change or like, hey, tell me what's going on. They've been some of the, the best friends in my life who at, at a very crucial moment have just been like, let's, let's chant. And that's it, you know, and then we get together and, and we chant and sometimes I'll cry, sometimes I'll laugh, or sometimes I'm already happy to begin with, but I'm always happier once I've chanted. So I would say to really challenge, challenge yourself to have a, a goal, something you want to challenge in your life, whatever it is, and then chant and then take action and, and then don't give up whatever it is and however long it takes, just don't give up. That is, that is all the advice that I could, I could think to give is don't give up and continue to decide, chant, and act. And if you can do that and never give up, you will win no matter what. Speaking with Christopher Robin immediately took me back to a speech by Daisaku Ikeda. It's titled, We Are the Protagonist of Our Own Lives. In it, he says, We are each the scriptwriter of our own triumphant drama. We are also its protagonist. Shakespeare wrote, all the world's a stage and all the men and women merely players. Buddhism teaches us that we each write and perform the script of our own lives. No one else writes that script for us. We write it and we are the star who performs it. This extremely active life philosophy is inherent in the teaching of 3000 realms in a single moment of life. 
We are each the author and the main character of our own stories. In order for it to be a wonderful production, it's essential that we become so familiar with the scenario that we can picture it vividly. We may need to rehearse it mentally. Sometimes it helps to write down our goals, for example, to pass an exam or to improve at work, and read them over and over again until they are deeply impressed in our minds. Christopher Robin's story shows how possible it is to see ourselves as the protagonist in our life. It's through setting a clear goal, chanting about it, and then taking action. In Buddhism, we don't just rely on chanting and hope something magical will fall out of the sky. We also need to take concrete action based on the courage, wisdom, and compassion we tap into from chanting Nam Myoho Renge Kyo. If you're interested in connecting with a local Buddhist community to learn more about starting your own Buddhist practice, our inbox is always open. You can reach out to us at connect at sgi-usa.org. For next week's episode, we want to hear about what makes you unique. You can either email us your answer or keep a lookout on our Instagram where we also post the weekly question. One last thing, please think about leaving us a review or rating the show. It really does help us reach more folks. Until next time, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.